Let's stand together, will you? And I'm going to read a section of the scripture we'll be looking at. And we're going to hop to just a couple others from the other gospels that kind of bear witness to John the Baptist's ministry. And so we'll be standing. For, but this is good because then you can get your uh, stretching in and because you're going to be sitting for a while. Anyways, John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who's preferred before me, of whom he was, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Let's just hop to Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, where John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. This is Matthew 3, 5. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree who does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You guys can go ahead and uh, have a seat. John the Baptist, known as the forerunner of the Messiah. He prepared the way for the Christ, the anointed one. He prepared the way and he got out of the way. He was the forerunner. Those of you that are car fans and auto enthusiasts, you may appreciate the seasons that automakers go to great lengths to create some sort of custom car edition. You may appreciate when in 2016, Nissan created the Gold Leaf. 
the gold leaf car, right? This car was wrapped in gold vinyl, and I'm not joking you, this thing was on the classy side. Anyone who won a gold medal was given one of these Nissan gold leaf vehicles. Uh, Hyundai went out of their way to create the Kona Iron Man. Now, this car came in Iron Man's great burgundy and black colors. It's got Iron Man logos all over it within the the uh, gear system and among the um, display. It's all Iron Man. It makes you feel like you're living within the movie. Kids, you like the, the Iron Man car? You want this? Okay. All right, Mom and Dad, Christmas present for your kids here. Just a Hyundai. The Volkswagen Polo Harlequin created this car with custom colors so that at the car shows, they could just show with this great sampler platter what colors the car came in. But there was a huge demand for the car to be painted with each of the colors on it, and so they ended up just making it like this. And uh, so well done, V-Dub, with the Polo Harlequin. The Nissan Rogue created the Rogue One Star Wars edition for all of those Star Wars fans out there. It's got a little Rogue One logo on it, and it comes with a Star Troopers helmet, okay? So, I mean, you look awesome driving down the, uh, the road in your helmet there. Uh, guitar fans out there, guitar players, you'll love that uh, the Beatle or the Bug came out with the Fender Stratocaster edition, you know, it's got Fender um, flaming colors on it and giant wheels and, you know, it's gorgeous. Of course, here in Prineville, we love a good Ford truck, you know, with the Harley Davidson edition. Those of you bikers, you're like, oh yeah, Eli, uh, uh, easy, you're just like, I want that. Um <laughs> You guys are coveting right now, and that is not good. But you want something to covet. I think it's Fiat's Kung Fu Panda. Fiat's Custom Kung Fu Panda. Uh, It's beautiful. But uh, I think what we'll appreciate going through this section of Scripture uh, with John the Baptist, the forerunner, is that Toyota has actually just announced that they're going to be coming out with a special forerunner edition called Jean Baptiste. Okay, so start saving up, get your checkbook ready. Something special about the Jean the Baptiste edition. It's going to have a little bit of the bug in it. Okay, it's going to have a little bit of classic bug. It's going to actually have the Range Rover Camel included into it. It's going to have special speakers that allow you to blast the gospel, the message of God. And it only comes in at a cool 50 grand off the lot. All right. So uh, get your checkbook out. Start saving up. It's the Toyota 4Runner Jean-Baptiste edition. Okay. Um, Now, John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Messiah. Man, this guy was epic. This guy was what Jesus says was the last of the Old Testament prophets. The law and the prophets were up until John, and he was really this last Old Testament guy after 400 years of silence in the Old Testament who was preparing the way for the Messiah and making way for the Messiah. He's an epic character. He was a little bit crazy, okay? He wore camel's fur, camel's skin, okay? Probably a little itchy. He wore a leather belt around his waist, very classy, okay? Uh, one translation of a commentary called it a, a garter, okay? So, uh, and so, okay, leather though, which is nice. And, uh, and he enjoyed a grasshopper or two. Uh, one of our children's Bibles has this epic story of John the Baptist and it's explaining John the Baptist and it has this picture of John the Baptist getting caught in the jungle, eating a a grasshopper and he's just, and it, and it just says, John ate bugs, (laughs) you know, and he's like, you know, and I think it was dipped in honey too, you know, so very delicious. But John the Baptist, you know, he was a little bit eccentric. He was a little bit crazy. Uh, in fact, recently read in the newspaper that there was a man who thought he was John the Baptist walking around New York City 
And he was shouting and screaming and prophesying and disturbing a whole neighborhood. So for public safety, he was committed to an insane asylum. When he was put in the padded room with the straight jacket on uh, with another crazy man, he began to shout and just throw a tantrum and just say, I'm John the Baptist. Jesus Christ has sent me. And the other man in the room looked at him and said, no, I haven't. <laughs> true story. Pretty much everything that's been said so far is true, and you can Google it. Okay. The Toyota 4Runner especially. But John the Baptist, man, he was on a bit of a health food kick, you know. If he lived in Prineville. He would have shopped at Nature's Bounty. Um, man, this guy, he was from the ASEAN or the Qumran community near the Dead Sea. And really it was the whole community that kind of lived in this way, practiced some very kind of the Amish of their day type, um, type practices. And, uh, and, and a lot of it was good. A lot of it was really holy. A lot of it was really uh, sanctified. And, uh, and really it was part of the preparation for John the Baptist and his ministry. Now, you have to forgive me because, because it's a family service, we're going to kind of speed a little bit. Um, but it's interesting when you study John chapter 1, John kind of hopscotches. You kids know hopscotch or perhaps leapfrog? Have you ever played leapfrog? You know, where you're hopping over someone's back and just moving throughout uh, one after another. John the Baptist, or I'm sorry, John, the Gospel of John kind of talks about Jesus, talks about John the Baptist, talks about Jesus, talks about John the Baptist, talks about Jesus, talks about John the Baptist. And so it's kind of hard to teach, actually, especially when it's like we're taking a long time getting through this. So John the Baptist, Jesus, John the Baptist, you know, today it's John the Baptist talking about Jesus, okay? And, uh, and so the story of John the Baptist is kind of dovetailed in here with these descriptions of who Jesus is. And the whole purpose of it is the purpose of John. At the end of the Gospel of John, it says, These things were written so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John the Baptist is just one of the witnesses, and as we go through John over the next probably year, or two, three. Uh, there's going to be these different characters in the story that help witness that Jesus is the Son of God. And so the first character that we're coming across is Jean Baptiste, all right? And, um, and so something about John the Baptist is that in verse 6 of John chapter 1, we see that he was a man sent from God whose name was John. And... Um, and that he came as a witness in verse 7 to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. It says in verse 8, he was not the light. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. Okay, so John the Baptist was a witness. He testified and he wanted, he wanted to make it clear, I'm not that light. I'm telling about the light. And that comes into our passage uh, today as well. John's not the Christ, but he's come to bear witness of the Christ. So let's hop down to what our section is right now in verse 19, John 1, 19. This is the testimony, or this is that witness of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And, you know, this is a good thing that the Jews in Jerusalem did. And the Jews, when John speaks of the Jews, he kind of talks about different people within Judaism throughout the book of John. And most of the time, though, it's the religious leaders from Jerusalem, part of the Sanhedrin. And so uh, these guys, you got to give them credit. They were doing their due diligence. There's a guy in the wilderness that really bears witness or bears marks of some sort of prophet, some sort of eschatological end times figure that Malachi prophesied would come, making, you know, preparing the way of the Christ. These guys are doing a good job, due diligence. Let's go check this guy out. And so they just flat out ask him, uh, who are you? And verse 20 tells us, I got a confession, John says. I know I look like I might be the Christ, but I'm not the Christ. I'm just here to tell people um, about 
the Christ. And the Jews had messianic hope. They were waiting for the Christ to come and to deliver them from their many different years of different oppressions and captivities, whether it was from the the Babylonians, whether it was from the Medes and the Persians, whether it was from the Greeks, whether it was from the Romans. At this point, it was the Romans. We need a Messiah. We need someone to deliver us. Some Jewish uh, sects even believed that the Messiah would come through the line of Aaron. And so knowing that John the Baptist was coming through that line, they had a little hope that he was the Christ. But John completely rejects this claim. He has uh, a confession. He just says it straight up. I'm not him. But there's a certain hint in the Greek here when he says, I'm not the Christ. And when someone would say that, I'm not the one who won the lottery. They're kind of saying it with a hint of, but I know the guy that won the lottery. You know, uh, I'm not the one that spilled the milk on the carpet, but I know the guy that spilled the milk on, you know, that's kind of in the Greek what this uh, sounds like. Okay. And so he's, he's like, I'm not the Christ, but let me point you to who I know is. Okay. That's essentially what's happening here. And so verse 21, they ask him saying, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Now, there are reasons why they would think that he is Elijah. In fact, 2 Kings chapter 1 verse 8 says that uh, Elijah was a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist, Elijah the Tishbite. Okay, so he kind of seemed like that kind of dude, kind of seemed like Elijah. Elijah didn't die, and so maybe he's come back, as the prophet said, that he would be coming to prepare the way. Now, he says, I'm not Elijah, but from what Jesus says, we can gather that he did come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Look at Matthew eleven seven, where Jesus begins to say to the multitudes concerning John the Baptist, Uh, It says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garment? So John the Baptist was neither one of those things. He wasn't some sort of flimsy dude, like didn't really know what his convictions were. Dude, this guy was stout. He had a message to bring. You know, he's calling out the Pharisees. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, you know. He was not flimsy, okay? Um, and he also was not dressed in soft garments. You know, it was a little itchy, okay? The camel's hair, right? And Jesus says, indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I say to you, more than a prophet. So we haven't got there yet. It's one sentence away when the Jews asked John the Baptist, you're not Elijah. Are you a prophet? And he says, no, I'm not a prophet. And Jesus says, you actually were, all right? You actually are more than a prophet even, like you were a very important prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. So all of the other prophets, all of the other great men, John the Baptist, man, he has an honorable ministry of being the one to prepare the way for the anointed king of Israel. Like this guy has the role of a lifetime, okay? And, uh, and Jesus says, you're in, we're in Matthew 11, halfway through verse 11, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him here. So kind of a little bit confusing, but are you Elijah? No, I'm not. And Jesus says, you actually, this guy had the role that was prophesied in the Old Testament of preparing the way um, of the Messiah. So are you Elijah? He says, no. Are you a prophet? He says, no. Jesus says, you're even more than a prophet. Okay. Um, but they asked that because when Moses was dying and on his way out, he said that there's going to be a prophet like me who will rise up from among your brethren. Hear him. Okay, and uh, and that's a prophecy of Jesus. And so the Jews are wondering, are you this prophet, John the Baptist? And he says, no, I'm not. I'm not that guy either. Okay, 
then look in verse 22 of our text, John 1. Welcome to Calvary Chapel where we are flipping through the Bible like crazy, right? You're going to get a paper cut. I'm just warning you. If you're looking at the screen, your eyes are going to get a paper cut. Um, verse 22, then they said to him, well, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? Now, they're not being mean, but they're getting a little frustrated because we don't get it, man. You clearly are something. Like, give us an answer. We've got a responsibility. Speak up. And so John the Baptist says, verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So he gives them permission to identify him as the voice. Doing a little creativity today, I was like, let's see. It's, he's kind of like one of the uh, winners of the voice. Have you guys ever seen that? You know, Blake Shelton, Gwyneth Paltrow? No, Gwyn... Stefani, Gwen Stefani, also wonderful act. Okay, uh, you know, they're doing this competition, and whoever wins is the voice. And i got to be honest, I didn't know a single one of the winners from that show. I, so they're obviously winners, but not in my book, okay? John the Baptist, he's the winner, right? Like, who are you? He says, you couldn't call me the voice, okay? I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm the one making straight the paths of the Lord. I'm like the highway crew that is laying down asphalt so that it's a smooth drive and a smooth ride. And, and kind of the prophecy was from Babylon through the wilderness to Jerusalem, through the mountains, a nice smooth ride for redemption and reconciliation for the nation of Israel. And John the Baptist says, that's me right now. That's what I'm doing. I'm laying down the mixture. I'm getting rid of the brush. I'm going through the mountain. We're making this a smooth path so that when Messiah comes, all the hearts have been prepared to receive him. Uh, this is a prophecy out of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. This is a prophecy that also backs off of Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And within the gospel accounts, they, they all quote from those. Um, but the idea here is John the Baptist is saying, get cleaned up, put a tidy shirt on, the king is coming. Get ready for a royal visit. Leon Morris says, John's real function was not to teach ethics, but to point men toward Jesus. Pointing men to Jesus. One man said that John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus and then got out of the way for Jesus. And that's what a good servant always does. We prepare the way and then we get out of the way and we point everyone to Jesus. Keep going in John chapter 1 verse 24. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Uh, you know, baptism was something that the Jews would, um, would take note of because when a non-Jew would become one and be adopted in, they would be baptized. Uh, those that were in the Qumran community by the Dead Sea, where John the Baptist is from, these are the guys that prepare the, uh, that preserve the Dead Sea scrolls that are very famous. They lived in the desert, desert, desert. I mean, there is not a piece of grass growing out there, um, unless you're by an oasis. These guys would regularly baptize, but their form of baptism uh, was one of self-baptism. And I don't know, have any of you, your kids are on fire for Jesus and they're in the swimming pool in the summertime and you always look out the window and they're back there. <laughs> you know, and you're like, what you doing out there? I'm just baptizing myself, you know. I love Jesus, you know. It's like, well, okay then, you know. Uh, and also, you know, we've also witnessed our kids baptizing each other. and ba It's like, hey, just love Jesus, guys. Start baptizing. All right. Um, but... Uh, Interesting, though, the Essenes in the Qumran community, they, they would baptize themselves, okay? Here we have John, and he's kind of doing this new role where he's baptizing people, and he's doing that to show that someone after him is coming who's going to do something even greater than water baptism. That's a cliffhanger because we're going to see, well, then what is it going to be? What's greater than the water baptism here? Um, water baptism still great, it's just that he's pointing to someone that's going to do something even greater and that, that rides off of that. And so uh, let's look then at verse 26. John answers them concerning the baptism. John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stand ones among you whom you do not know. 
It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. So this is uh, a phrase that already has been spoken in this chapter in John, that, uh, that even though John came first, in fact, John was six months older than Jesus. They were cousins, if you remember. John came first, and yet he says, really, Jesus came first, okay? Uh, he says, yeah, I was the older cousin, um, but he's actually first because he's the creator, he's God. And he's also first, the language says that he's preferred and he outranks me. I'm, I'm not even going to call myself a prophet. This guy is God, okay? And so he's pointing everyone to Jesus. And he actually says, he's actually standing among you today. And so, over here? Yeah, which one? Who is it? We're going to see in just a little bit. He makes his appearance in just a minute. But we see that he's coming after me. He's preferred before me. And there's something about this guy I'm not even worthy to loose his Tiva strap, all right? Um, The interesting thing is that in the culture of the day, historians and the writers of the day would say that a slave and a servant and a disciple, they would be servants and they should be forced to do all sorts of things. But when it comes to, at the end of the day, after all of the nitty-gritty servant-like stuff you've done, you know what? Slave owner, undo your own sandal, for goodness sakes, okay? Like, that's just a little, a little low, okay? These guys are worth more than undoing your sandal strap. That's the history. But John the Baptist says, he kind of twists it a little bit, and he says, you know what? The one who is coming is so amazing, okay? Creator of heaven and earth, redeemer of the world from their sins, he is so amazing, I'm not even worthy to undo his sandal strap. He doesn't say, I'm so good, I'm not going to undo that sandal strap. No, he says, I'm not good enough. I can't even undo it. This guy is incredible. And so John is discharging this incredibly honorable duty better than any of his hearers could ever realize. Verse 28 These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. There's a little bit of a geographical location. And uh, uh, studies show that it's uh, different Bethany. It's over by the Jordan River, and it's probably about where Joshua came across the Jordan River. Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, when you kind of study all the different accounts of Jesus and his baptism, you'll be reading John and you'll realize at this point, Jesus has already been baptized. He's already gone into the wilderness for the 40 um, days of temptation. This is weeks after Jesus's baptism, because in this account, John is going to tell about back when I baptized him. Okay. Um, So This declaration is, as Jesus comes out of the crowd, he says, behold, or check it out, or observe it. This guy is the Lamb of God. Now, many of you probably, you hear this Lamb of God, and it's confusing to you. Why are we calling him an animal, you know? Um, What does this have to do with anything? You got to understand your Old Testament. You got to understand the sacrificial system. And when John says this, he's pointing people's minds back to, for instance, Genesis chapter 22. When Abraham was offering up Isaac, his son, his one and only son whom he loved. When the Lord says through uh, or speaks and reveals to Abraham, don't worry about it. God will provide the lamb. And it was there on Mount Moriah, Genesis chapter 22, the same place where Jesus is going to be offered up, that just as Abraham's about to plunge the knife into his son Isaac's chest, an angel says, stop, don't do it. Look over there in the bush. There's a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham rejoiced and called that place uh, Mount Moriah, for it's where the Lord will provide the lamb to be slain. Okay? So he's referring to Abraham. He's referring to the Passover lamb, although not a sin off, not a burnt offering like Abraham, not a sin offering. Uh, Passover was not a sin offering. It was a different type of offering. He's referring to even though the, um, the, what would you call it? The, 
This is why I have notes, people. The scapegoat, okay? The scapegoat. You guys get the idea of a scapegoat? That's a word we use today when we want to blame something that we did on somebody else and let them be the whipping boy and take our punishment. In the Old Testament, there was a goat that would have the high priest lay his hand on, on the goat's forehead, confess the sins of the people, and then let that goat go out into the wilderness to, I'm sure, live a long and happy life and, and bear many goat children um, that may not be what happened there for the scapegoat. Um, so when John's saying these things, he's referring to all of these sacrificial lambs that brought people close to God again. There's a whole lot of stuff in the language here, but, um, but some believe that the Aryan were, or not the Aryan. I mean, that's a whole other subject, I think. Aramaic, thank you. <laughs> that's just why we have notes. Okay. Don't say Aryan. Okay, got that down. Um, that the Aramaic word isn't lamb of God, but that it speaks of the servant of God and is a reference to Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant who bears our reproach. So that's just a little interesting tidbit. You might put that in the margin of your Bible. Lamb of God or servant of God. Here is the servant of God who takes away the sins of God. Of the world, and by the way, I keep misspeaking uh, when I was reading it to you guys, and then I just said it there because your Bible does not say He takes away the sins of the world, but that He takes away the sin of the world, which is a much larger bundle that He does for us and our brothers and sisters all across the world. Alexander McLaren said this: John does not say. The sins, as the litany, following an imperfect translation, makes him say, but he says, the sin of the world, as if the whole mass of human transgression was bound together in one black and awful bundle and laid upon the unshrinking shoulders of this better atlas who can bear it all and bear it all away. So Jesus is the great atlas to bear the sin of the world and praise God for that because I know in that bundle is everything that I've ever done that is a transgression, that is a trespass, that is a rebellion, that is an unintentional sin. Everything I've ever done has been laid upon Jesus' shoulders at the cross of Calvary. And friends, I hope that you can say the same thing about your sins. Don't try to bear that weight on your own. You'll never progress. You will only be condemned under the weight of your own sin. Come to Jesus. Let him bear. He has come as a servant and as a sacrificial lamb whose blood takes on the sin of the world and washes it away. Verse 30, John the Baptist says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who's preferred before me, for he was before me. So this is like the third time that John the Baptist is going to say this similar thing. This is essentially what he's saying. This is the guy. Right? This is the guy. Have you ever been talking about somebody, and we'll just put it in a good light, talking about someone, you know, and you're like, man, I had a friend that could slam dunk in high school. Man, I could never, I couldn't believe that this guy, and then you're, with, and then you're running into him that day, and you're like, this is the guy I was telling you about. He could slam dunk in high school, or I had a friend that could grow a mustache in middle school, you know, and then you run into David Newberger at the store, and you're like, this is the guy I was telling you about, Right? <laughs> All right, And John the Baptist is like, guys, this is the one I've been telling you about. The one who came before me, who's preferred before me. I've been telling all you all, there's someone coming. I'm not even worthy to undo the Velcro on that sandal, you know. You guys, you got to know him. He's come to take away the sin of the world. Verse 31 says, I did not know him but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. He's going to say this a couple of times. I didn't know him, which is an interesting thing because John the, John the Baptist, he's a prophet. He had a clear mission from God. His cousin was Jesus. Anyone else close to their cousins? I grew up on the same ranch as my cousins. We were riding horses and motorcycles and playing fort and all of that kind of, I don't know if John the Baptist and Jesus, but when Mary came and told Elizabeth that she was with child, Elizabeth, who had John the Baptist in her womb, John the Baptist jumped with cousin excitement. 
You guys remember that? I think it's Luke's gospel. Like, and he jumped in her womb like, I'm going to have a cousin. He's going to be the Messiah. And I'm going to be the forerunner. It's gonna, they're going to make a car after me. It's going to be great, you know. Um, <clears throat> but here, like, the real humanity of even prophets and John the Baptist is like, I didn't even know who he was. I grew up with him. And, and, but it was so that he would be revealed to Israel And so that's why I came baptizing with water. I wanted to start working repentance in the land before he came. And that's what baptism was. And that's what baptism is. It's a baptism of repentance. Okay. Verse 32. And John also bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. So there at the baptism John the Baptist was a witness. He saw what happened in this very Trinitarian passage where Jesus the Son is being baptized. The heavens open up. God the Holy Spirit comes and rests upon Jesus. And it says, like a dove. Once I got an argument with a guy that says, it was a dove. And I'm like, it was like a dove. It's called a metaphor, you know. Uh, No, it was. Okay, probably not the biggest deal in the world. But the Holy Spirit is not a dove, okay. Okay. Sorry, Calvary Chapel. Don't look here. All right. <laughs> Put a bird on it. All right. But uh, he, he came like a dove. It was a picture. Some of, the, uh, some of the rabbis would write about the Holy Spirit being like a dove. Um, we know that a dove was only would rest upon something that was pure. It's, a, it's all part of like the Noah's Ark, letting the dove out, all that kind of stuff. The Holy Spirit came like a dove as a picture of the anointing and the resting upon. And John the Baptist says the Holy Spirit remained on Jesus, and then he drove him in the wilderness to be tempted. That doesn't sound very dove-like, does it? Oh, precious little, oh, so wonderful. Get into the wilderness so you can be tempted, you know? It's like, whoa, that escalated very quickly. Can I get a net? Um... So John the, Bap- or John the Baptist saw the Holy Spirit come down like a dove and rest on. And what's that all about? Well, it's from Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him, and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. As with Isaiah 61, 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And by the way, Jesus quotes this later in Luke chapter 4, and he says, this happened to me, Jesus says. So he's quoting from the prophecy, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Okay, so... John the, uh, I keep saying John the Revelator, that's a different guy than John the Baptist. John the Baptist saw this incredible baptism experience of Jesus. And later on in Jesus' life, Mark chapter 11 shows us it. The Pharisees are going to come and try to trick Jesus. And they're going to say, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus is going to say, I'm going to answer your question with a question. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from man? And the Jews reasoned among themselves and they, they had a holy huddle, you know, a Pharisee huddle. They said, well, if we say that it was from man, uh, then we're going to, you know, the men, then these guys are going to beat us up. If we say that it was from God, well, then, man, these guys are going to beat us up. And so they, they just said, we don't know the answer to your question. And Jesus said, well, then I'm not going to answer your question. And the reason was everything the Pharisees wanted to know about Jesus could be found in John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist testified that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist testified that I saw the Holy Spirit come down from heaven like a dove and anoint Jesus. And he went out and was anointed for public ministry. Moving on, verse 33. You kids are doing amazing, by the way. Every kid here, I'm just going to applause for you right now. Good job. Except for you, Tatum, that is not appropriate. Oh, yeah, no, it's good. Just kidding. All right. Verse 33, again, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so John the Baptist had had revelation that whoever you see the dove come down upon, that is who is going to then do what you'd been doing, but in an even greater capacity, and that he is going to give the new covenant promise of the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? And we have talked about this second baptism many times at Calvary Chapel. It's called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's a phrase that just strikes fear into people because bad theology has created a whole lot of stress and misuse of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But essentially what it is is that anyone who comes to Jesus will not only be filled with the Holy Spirit and be given a new heart, but will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and given power to go proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, this is after Jesus died, it's after Jesus rose from the dead, and it's before Jesus is about to ascend. Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 4 And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So John the Baptist baptized with the element of water. And it was for the purpose of repentance from your sins, okay? And Jesus himself says, uh, every gospel testifies to this, that he did that, now I am going to baptize with the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, and this is for the purpose of bold evangelism of a lost world. And in the same chapter, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, but you shall receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So what will happen when we receive the Holy Spirit? It doesn't say, and you will convulse and start crowing like a rooster when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Doesn't say that. And and you will have a holy throw up. No, doesn't say that. And you will have a, a nonstop lap. No, none of that. Okay. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is for boldness in proclaiming the gospel. And with that often comes manifestation of the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts, which edify the church and display Christ to the world. Those spiritual gifts can be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and Romans chapter uh, 12 and 14 as well. Okay. Um, And so that's a whole nother study. But what I do want to encourage today is if your life seems like it's a little bit dry, you have not been brave and courageous in sharing the gospel with people. You hear about us going out and doing signs of life and standing on the corner and being like, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And you're like, Mm -mm. I would encourage you to pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, okay? Because in the Greek, the language here for the baptism with the Holy Spirit speaks of a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. And there may have been a time in your life you were a high schooler and you were just zealous for Jesus or you were a part of Campus Crusade for Christ or whatever it might have been. You were a, you know, you were a usher at the Billy Graham Crusade even. But now you're like that sponge that's sitting by your sink on the counter that's just dry and you can... I mean, you just need to be plunged in the water of the sink. You know, you just need to be plunged to be useful and pliable once again. And I believe that's a picture of a Christian who just needs more of the Holy Spirit. The Greek is, it just speaks of continual gushing forth of the power of God upon our life so that we can tell people about Jesus. Anyone here want to start telling people about Jesus, the light of the world, the life of the world, the one who's come to take on him the sin of the world? That's our job, Christians. And if, it's, if it sounds tough, 
You need the Holy Spirit. And if it doesn't sound tough, you probably need the Holy Spirit even more. Okay? So we're going to have the worship team come on up. And we're going to just close with just a cry that we would be bold and courageous like John the Baptist and that we would open up our mouths and make known to our community and make known to our friends the mystery of Jesus. John the Baptist, bold and courageous, didn't really touch on this last verse, but it says that that he would testify that Jesus is the Son of God. It takes boldness, it takes courage, it takes bravery to step out and open your mouth and to tell people that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, I mentioned that maybe you feel like that sponge by the sink that is just dry, you know. And isn't that kind of fun, though? You take that sponge and you're like, oh, that's much better. It's interesting because in Acts chapter 19, there's a group of people who are disciples in the town of Ephesus. And when Paul the Apostle meets them, he says, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And John began to explain to them, and then he laid hands on them, and he prayed for them to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of theology in that. There's a lot of guys that have worked on figuring it out. But my point in this is, is your life a little dry like the sponge? And when people look at your life as a Christian, do they go, do you even have the Holy Spirit? Man, you're dry. You're dried up. You've been kind of useless lately. You don't, I'm not seeing the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Not really seeing that. You're kind of like that sponge, Right? I'm not really seeing the gifts of the Spirit happening in your life. You're not serving in the church. You're kind of living for yourself. I'm not seeing you opening up your mouth and telling people about Jesus. So as your friend, do you even receive the Holy Spirit in your life? And there's a lot with that. But I love that there's a preacher named Alistair Begg who, I man, I could serve under him for the rest of my life. He could be my pastor and we have different understandings of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit look like. And, man, I, I can yield, no problem. Like, but my understanding jives with his when he says, you know what? Whatever it looks like, I need the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And whenever it happens, I need the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so today, maybe that's where you're at. I need the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Maybe for the first time, and maybe as a refresher, we can all come together to say, more of you, Lord, in my life. Do what Jesus, Jesus, do what you came to do. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just do come before you today, thankful for a family service, thankful to be together, and thankful to read of the forerunner, John the Baptist, who is bold and courageous to do the call on his life to prepare a way and to get out of the way. And Lord, we want to do that too. We believe you're coming back again. We want to prepare the way for your return. We want to be bold and courageous to speak life and hope and truth. We want to be like a prophet who would speak out and reason with people concerning sin and the righteousness of God and the judgment to come. We want to be able to tell our coworkers and our family members and our friends and our teammates Behold, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the sacrificial Lamb. He's the scapegoat. He took on Himself the sin of the world, yours and mine. And Lord, we rejoice today to know that all of our iniquities are wrapped up in that big bundle of sin that is upon Jesus, the true and better Atlas's back. Let that joy motivate us to open our mouths and tell the world about you. And so today, as we close in song, maybe John's message rings true to you that you need to repent of your sins 
And you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. You need to have a water baptism. That is still a New Testament principle. That is still a biblical principle. That is still a good principle. We were going to have a baptism today. It was a little chilly out. So we're going to be getting a baptism rocking and rolling here soon. And you need to be stepping out in obedience and being baptized with water to show the whole world that you've turned away from your sins and you've been washed by the blood of Jesus. And today, maybe John, his message rings true for you that that Jesus has come and he's got a job in your life that he not only wants to forgive you of your sins, but he wants to give you power to live for him now. And if you know today that you not only need Jesus' forgiveness of sins, but you need his courage, his power, I would just invite you to stand with me today. And you know, the Jews, they have a posture when they pray and when they worship. And it's that when they're giving glory to God and they're heaping up praise to God and ascribing greatness to God, they have their hands like this, like they're pushing towards God praise. But when they're receiving from God blessing and strength, they have more of a receptive posture. And today is we just, we're going to close in prayer right now and then a song. I don't know what song uh, Johnny had picked, so we're going to pray first. If today you know you need the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism afresh of the Holy Spirit, torrents of living water coming upon your dry life, you know you need boldness and courage and bravery, I'd invite you to stand with me right now and just lift your hands in a receptive posture. And just cry out with me for more of him. Stand right now where you're at. Just say, Lord, pour yourself out upon me. The metaphor is that of a pouring, John chapter 7. Lord Jesus, we pray today at Calvary Chapel, Prineville. We know we're a little town. We're a little church in a little town. There's a big world that needs the big hope of Jesus. So we pray right now, Lord, that you would just pour out the Holy Spirit upon us. Jesus, do your work. Immerse us right now in the person of the Holy Spirit. Not so we can be wacky and crazy and lose self-control. No, Lord, so that we can be bold, so that we can be useful, so that we can walk in victory. Give us more of yourself right now, we ask. Baptize us with the Holy Spirit so that we can be useful for you. Lord, if we're honest and people were looking in our lives and say, they didn't even know we were Christians, let alone overflowed with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that there needs to be a change in us. So give us more of you so that we can live for you today. And we just receive by faith that blessing of the promise of the Father, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, so that we can do like John the Baptist, declare you to be the Son of God. Go ahead, Johnny, close us out.